Yes, that was my interesting attempt at an intro for this show. But uh, yeah, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Gridiron Graduates. Hope you had a nice almost week break, actually over week break, uh, as far as when we're recording. A little uh, Around the Horn reference there. And just like they do on Around the Horn, live from Virginia, it's Ian Wharton. Ian, what's going on in your neck of the woods, brother? Not too much. Just bracing for this uh, hurricane we're apparently supposed to get this weekend. Yeah. And uh, luckily there's lots of good football on, so I think I'll survive. Yeah, you're seemingly right, right in the hurricane's path, aren't you? Like, how, how far <laughs> off are you, or like, or how far are you as far as um, the expected path of the hurricane? Um, I'm not really too sure. Um, I know I'm a couple hours from the beach, but, um, you know, eh, whatever. <laughs> I don't really, I don't really worry about it too much. Yeah. Well, just say stay, stay safe, but you'll be fine, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, another, uh, exciting week of action in the National Football League, and we're going to get right to it, go th- run through some of the games quick, and then look ahead to week four already. Can you believe it? Week four already. And the uh, phrase that every fantasy owner loves to hear, bye weeks have begun. Mm. We'll get to that in a bit. So, start off our recounts with the Thursday night game from last week. And speaking of which, we are recording this on Thursday night now, in the middle of the Thursday night game. So, a bit interesting for us, but it's going to be fun. But as far as last week's Thursday game, Giants 32 Redskins 21. Giants get their first win of the season. Eli Manning goes 23 of 32 for 279 and two scores. Uh, as for Kirk Cousins, though, 30 of 49, 327. Neither team ran the ball all that well, though, as neither team even broke 90 yards of total rushing. Uh, for the Giants, leading rusher was Rashad Jennings at just 32 yards on 11 carries. And for the Redskins... 38 yards on 11 carries for Matt Jones, but uh, the passing game certainly certainly was alive for both teams, especially for the Giants and especially Ruben Randall finally waking up. Seven catches, buck 16, and a score. What was your take on this game? Yeah, it was. Uh, it's one of those games where you know Thursday night, and sometimes you just have ugly Thursday night games, and unfortunately. Uh, that's kind of what we had here. Um, it's just, I'm not a Kirk Cousins fan, never really have been. And so for me, you know, to watch him play over RG3, look, I know RG3's had issues. I know that the guy has not said flattering things in the media a lot. And I, I totally understand, you know, as far as like a fan base, I know here locally, they're pretty, pretty tired of the RG3 saga. And uh, But, you know, it comes back to you've got a guy who showed that he could be a franchise quarterback. And, you know, I understand, too, he hasn't been the same guy in a while. But I think that you got to give the guy a chance that has that potential still. You have to find out. You know, this is the last year of his contract. I know he has the injury option next year. So, obviously, that could affect things. But, you know, for Washington's perspective – you know, they've got the offensive line playing well, which is a huge compliment to Bill Callahan, their offensive line coach, um, because that unit 
was not good last year. And, you know, Brandon Scherf looked pretty bad preseason. And, you know, he still doesn't look great in pass pro, but as a run blocker, he's kind of gotten to where we all thought he would be, which is a pretty good run blocker. Um, but, you know, Washington, they're, they're just kind of a mess. They don't have good cornerbacks. Um, Rashad Breland hasn't really shown a whole lot of progress since last year yet. And I just, I, it always comes back to quarterback for me. They've got good running backs. They've got good receivers. They've got a great tight end, good offensive line. But Kirk Cousins isn't good enough. And we know that. You don't have to see him play 16 games to know that. But what you do need to see, you need to see if Robert Griffin has any more run in him before possibly moving on from him. Um, you know, from the Giants' perspective, they needed this game. It was a must-win game. Mm-hmm. And they come out, and like you'd expect from a veteran coach, from a veteran roster, they come out, they play pretty well. Um, Ruben Randall, as you mentioned, big game, big step-up performance. Um Eli played okay. Uh, I, I really like what they do on offense with Ben McAdoo. I think he's a really good offensive coordinator. Um, I know he draws the ire of some fans, but he's working with some limited talent there too. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't really, you can't really, you know, knock that fact that he's. It's not like he's working with with great talent. So, right. um, you know, he's got some good receivers, but I mean, it's about it. So, uh, you know, overall, it's it was a must-win game for the Giants. They came out, they got the victory. Ugly game for the Redskins. They're still okay, but uh, you know it's a wide open division right now. Unless if you know your team, the Philadelphia Eagles, who played much better last week, I thought. Unless if they come out and keep keep winning, which I think is very possible. Um, what was your takeaway from their victory over the Jets? Yeah, the the win over the Jets was much needed similar to the Giants over the Redskins because if this team even in the division as weak as the NFC East had turned into even falling into 0-3 would have been a tough hole to dig out of uh the offense wasn't top notch you know it was improved but there were still some questions uh Bradford looked okay but on on the plus side he did have a a few potential touchdown throws missed because the running backs dropped the ball. Matthews had a drop that would have been a long touchdown run. Sproles would have had a long run, but he dropped the ball. But overall, the offense did what they needed to. The, the defense really stepped up. I was really impressed with Jordan Hicks. I thought he had a real nice game. Um, he's already showing that that third-round pick, the third-round investment in him was well worth it. Um, and we can see now that if anything else happens in the future to, say, Michael Kendricks, or Kiko Alonso, um, Hicks can step right in and be fine, and they'll, they'll have nothing to worry about. Luckily, Kendricks is back practicing this week, and Kiko should be expected back within a few weeks, which which is great news. I know there was worry that Kiko's injury was going to be season-ending. Luckily for the Eagles, it is not, like I said, not, not, not the best game for the Eagles, but... It, it also was against a quality opponent. Like, I know there's going to be people out there saying, oh, well, it was just the Jets. Well, yeah, but this is also a Jets team that has a really good defense. Yeah, they've got a good coaching staff, too. Uh, yeah, Todd Bowles and that defense has just been really good so far this season. Leonard Williams has been outstanding. Uh, obviously, Darrell Rivas in the secondary. So it's not like they beat up, or not even beat up, it's not like they you know, beat a 
down opponent. They beat a good Jets team, as surprising as that sounds. So, you know, like like I said, much needed win, and hopefully this gives them a little bit of momentum going forward because they do have three winnable games coming up against the Redskins, the Saints, and the Giants. So if they can pick up their play, they could possibly find themselves four and four and two going into what could be a very interesting Sunday night game against the Panthers in week seven before their bye and then the second meeting with the Cowboys. Yeah, and that schedule really kind of plays nicely for them, especially as they continue to get healthy. Um, because I don't I don't know if Tony Romo will be back by that point in the season. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, those three games I think are pretty winnable games. Even if they play like they did this past week, you could still probably say those are those are winnable games. And, mm-hmm. and you hope that after the bye week, especially with a coaching staff like they have, I mean, especially Chip, he's going to make adjustments during the bye week. Yeah. And, it, and if your team has been struggling early this year and you're getting a bye week here, week four, week five, um, that's a really good time for a bye week because that's where you really expect to see changes. You, set, you expect to see either scheme changes, you expect to see personnel changes. Um, you may see rookies play a little bit more after that. Um Whatever it may be, though, that's really where the big change comes from, and I think that that I think the Eagles will be sitting pretty nice here in a couple of weeks from now when they're leaving their bye week, especially to play a possibly very vulnerable Dallas Cowboys team, just depending on mm-hmm. who's playing quarterback, or even if even if Romo's back, depending on how long he's been back. So I think their I think their arrow is certainly pointing upward right now. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the Cowboys, let's talk about that game for a little bit. Um, Cowboys leading for a while throughout the game, but Atlanta with a furious comeback in the in the second half, and they come back to win 39-28 as Matt Ryan goes 24-36 for the Falcons for 290 and two scores. Both of those scores to Julio Jones, who once again has a monster game with 12 catches for buck 64. And how about Devontae Freeman? 30 carries, 141 yards, three touchdowns. Have yourself a game, Devontae. What an overall, what a performance by the Falcons. Um, especially, like I said, in the second half, making the comeback, not getting too down. Um, and you can tell as the Falcons were getting closer, the Cowboys seemed to panic a little bit. Um, because I noticed they were really strong running the ball early in the game, but it felt like then in the second half they kind of got away from the run, especially as the Falcons were closing the gap. Um, and that's when it felt like the game started to get away from the Cowboys, and the Falcons just took advantage of it, made the plays they needed to, got the win, and now the Falcons are sitting here at 3-0. and yeah, they're sitting nice, and they should have a good opportunity this week to win as well. Um, this is the type of game last week against Dallas that bad teams end up losing. And you don't want to be the team that loses against a team with their second-string quarterback, especially when it's Brandon Whedon. Um, it really can kind of show the pretenders from the contenders. And, and just going out and doing your job, and that's what it's really about. And they did. Their, uh, their offensive numbers were really gaudy. I mean, you don't see almost a 150-yard rusher and a 165-yard receiver every week in every game. Um, so that was very impressive. And, and Julio Jones is, is probably the best wide receiver in the NFL right now. So 
Um, they're again, they're trending up. Uh, I still don't think Matt Ryan's played his best football, and I think that that's a really exciting thing. Um, I love seeing all the Kyle Shanahan love out there because I'm a big fan of him as an offensive coordinator, and I would hire him as a head coach in a heartbeat. Uh, he's got that offensive line playing incredibly well. Um, and, of course, his offense feeds into Julio. They, his offense has always been known to really reward the number one receiver in the offense, and we're seeing that once again with Julio. And, of course, it doesn't hurt that he is incredibly talented himself and doesn't really need to be fed, but the fact that he is being fed is uh, even more dangerous. Yeah, so... And like you said, the offensive line definitely playing well. Jake Matthews has certainly played better than he did his rookie season. Uh, this week's going to be a good test, though, for them, especially the O-line, as they get J.J. Watt and mm-hmm. then vaunted Texans D-line. So that's going to be something to watch. So we mentioned the Falcons are 3-0 in the NFC South. So, too, are the Carolina Panthers. They also moved to 3-0, defeating the Saints, who are now 0-3, 27 27- 22 but how about this for a stat 310 yards for luke mccown of all people i guess those uh commercials he's been doing are finally paying off huh it's pretty unbelievable <laughs> <laughs> it, it was it was crazy because at one point on sunday we had luke mccown going some i think he was like 13 of 14 or something like that and we had brandon whedon 20 of 20 i mean that's that's unbelievable <laughs> i i i and, oh, by the way, they might potentially face each other this Sunday night. Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, oof. It's, uh, it was pretty scary yeah, that... sorry, that, NBC. Yeah, it's pretty scary that backups are, are this prevalent already early in the season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is what it is with bad offensive line play nowadays. And, you know, some of these quarterbacks are getting older. Um, you know, Breeze, obviously, is having having injury issues. And, and Romo's had a long history of injuries. Um at least somewhat severe ones with his back. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's yeah, hopefully those guys get back. I mean, just for the sake of football, you really don't want Luke McCown. You don't want him on your TV for more <laughs> than one or two games a season, and you really don't want Brandon Whedon on your TV for more than two plays. But, yeah. you know, unfortunately we have to deal with him for a few weeks. So, um, you know, it was impressive, though. It was impressive how they hung into these games. I don't think long-term that that's something sustainable, but – We'll definitely end up seeing um, kind of how that how that shakes out. It's not really a good look for Carolina. It's good that they won, but it's not really a great look that the game was so close. Right. Uh, just to run through some of the other scores quick, Houston gets their first win over Tampa Bay, 19-9. to uh, A couple miscues, though, for Tampa Bay. Missed a couple field goals that... Um, and what those on drives that could have been touchdowns for the Buccaneers, so that certainly could have gone either way. Both those teams are now one and two. Vikings get to two and one. They beat the Chargers 31-14. Teddy Teddy Bridgewater obviously still playing well. Adrian Peterson playing well. 20 carries, a buck 26. Uh, Steelers over the Rams in one of the ugly games, 12-6, and we see them. Yeah playing right now and of course we got to talk about the big news from this game and that of course is the injury to Ben Roethlisberger thank god though it was not a torn ACL it was only and of course I put that in quotes because you never want to talk about something like this but 
compared to a uh, torn ACL, it's good. Only a sprained MCL and a bone bruise for Ben Roethlisberger, so he's out four to six weeks. What's your take on the Steelers from this game and possibly going forward? As again, we're recording this as they're playing the Ravens right now, and Mike Vick, Mike Vick actually playing. Who the thunk? Yeah, yeah, especially being signed a few few weeks ago, it seems like. Um, you know, it, it could be a disaster, and they are already behind the eight ball because the Cincinnati Bengals are playing so well. Mm-hmm. And to, if if they lose tonight, you know, and obviously as you're listening to this, the outcome's already been determined. But um, you know, if Baltimore wins this game, they're back in it, at least as far as back in it and competing with Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Right. Um, because Pittsburgh kind of has to ward off Cleveland, too. Cleveland's not overly good, and I don't think Baltimore's overly good right now. But we also, I think it's fair to say that Pittsburgh's not overly good right now. I mean, their, their bright spot is offense, for sure. Mm-hmm. But without Big Ben, and more importantly, with a limited quarterback like Michael Vick, that's more important, I think, than losing Ben, is that the drop-off is so severe. Um it, that defense is just, it's got so much stress on it. They, yeah. They've got to do so much. Especially without, without Shazier. Yep, yep. I was just going to mention, without Shazier, their their task is tall. So it, they've got to weather the storm. And, you know, Ben is one of the toughest guys in the NFL. I think we're going to see him back sooner than later. Um, you know, it's hard to see them being competitive this season, I think, in general. And just because Cincinnati's come out scorching hot and also because that defense is so limited, um, you know, I think it's going to be tough for them for the duration of the year to just be a constant threat. You know, they're, they're going to be a tough team to face because of that offense, but you know, as far as a playoff threat, it's going to be tough to weather the storm. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, let's let's talk about the Bengals a little bit too and their impressive win over the Ravens, 28-24. As the Bengals go to three and zero, and the Ravens surprisingly are now zero and three. I I know I was definitely surprised because I said last week I thought the Ravens would win this because I thought this game was too important. You know, home division game, you're zero and two, you pretty much got to get this win, and unfortunately they couldn't. Um, but Boy, like you said, how impressive have the Bengals been so far these first three games? And as amazing as this is going to sound, Andy Dalton is playing really good. And yeah. Almost 400 yards passing. And, oh, by the way, A.J. Green, for those worried about him, yeah, he's still okay. Um, oh, yeah. Ten catches, 227, I think, will uh, take some of those worries away. Uh, Marvin Jones didn't have a bad game himself. 594, one line. This running game, though, is still getting interesting. Jeremy Hill is not as much of the lead dog as we expected. Yeah, it's an interesting offense. It's definitely they're they're at an all-time high with efficiency right now. They're a top-five offense across the league. And you know, Joe, go uh, go to Twitter and if you follow Joe Goodberry um, on Twitter, he's a Bengals writer and he covers the team really well. And he's done studies on Andy Dalton and his ability to play really well against teams that he doesn't face very often. He calls them common and uncommon opponents, with the common opponents being um, people that he faces at least every other year. Mm-hmm. And the splits are huge. 
he is a Pro Bowl quarterback against teams he doesn't see often. But when he faces division foes or other teams more often, um, again, I think it, I think his criteria was at least once over the last two years. His numbers are very pedestrian and probably quite a bit below average. And I think that's really an interesting tidbit about him, and, and that somewhat explains, I think, their heart, their hot start to the season, as well as also Baltimore just being an absolute mess on both sides of the ball. Which um, is which, stunning which I, right now. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's really surprising. Um, but, you know, I, Cincinnati's definitely, they've put themselves in a position to to really control their destiny. I think it's there. it'd be very difficult for them to not make the playoffs at this point. Um because they're going to have winnable games throughout the season in, in the division, and that's what it's really about. I mean, you have to figure they're probably going to beat the Browns at least once, if not twice. Mm-hmm. Probably going to beat the Steelers um, at least once, if not twice. And you could say the same maybe about the Ravens again, that when they play the Ravens a second time. Yep. I mean, you, you may be looking at almost nine or ten wins right there, um, considering what they've already done, because you know they're going to beat up a couple other teams too, yep. inevitably. So, I mean, it's, it's very impressive what they've done, and... Marvin Lewis, I know some people don't like him because they're going to point to zero playoff wins there. Um, you know, I, I think that's a bigger indication of poor quarterback play often holding them back. I, don't, I really don't think that's a direct result of Lewis's coaching ability. I think he's a great coach. I really do. I think he's one of the better coaches um, yeah. in the league. And I, mean, I think it, what not every built, coach can go through the playoff runs that he's had and still be around for about 13 years yeah and we have to remember too look what he's built there yeah i mean that's arguably the worst job in the nfl before he took over mm-hmm. you know and he's built that roster extremely deep they are a great organization when it comes to developing talent in-house letting them go to free agency replacing that talent the next season and then also the same with coaches they've got an impressive coaching st- coaching tree as Hugh well. Hugh Jackson, outstanding coach. Hugh Jackson should definitely be a ho- head coach in the NFL next year. By the way, I would love to see him in Miami next year. I think <laughs> I would be very, very happy with Hugh Jackson. Hey, um, they'd actually have a even decent play caller. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's tough for yeah. you and all, all your fellow Miami fans. I know, I feel your pain. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been rough. Hey, Martin, but, uh, morning, Mike, how you doing? Yeah, true. He's a... Uh, the lasers right up there with uh, the worst of the worst pantheon in uh, in the last few years as far as offensive coordinators. But uh, but Cincinnati doesn't have to deal with that. They've got they've got great talent. AJ Green's been out of his mind this year, and you know last year I had some concerns because he was not looking like himself last year. I know he was dealing with a lot of injuries, um, and and he deserves I think a lot of credit for playing through those injuries um, because he was clearly hamstrung all season long. And uh, he just did not look like the same players he does now. And, and so, you know, he's back. He's dominant. And I think that this is a team that one, if they can get Jeremy Hill going, it's just going to be one of the most difficult teams to stop. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know if they're dominant per se, but the AFC is so wide open that they're playing so much better than almost everyone except for New England that I think that those two teams are really the two that have stood, up, stood out more than anybody in the AFC. And that's what I was going to say, like, when you were talking about the schedule. One notable um, omission from their schedule this season is New England. 
Yeah. The Bengals do not have to play the Patriots this regular season, so that's huge as far as them competing for a division title or potentially, dare I say, a first-round bye. But, uh, yeah, th- this offense is looking legit. You mentioned you know, trying to get Jeremy Hill back on, and I think we're kind of starting to get back into the flow a little bit of realizing that Gio Bernard is a good running back. It's just once they get Jeremy Hill back going, this could be a pretty dangerous offense. The offensive line is playing well. And like you said, Andy, Andy Dalton's been playing well. So this is a this is a bit of a team to watch. Uh, speaking of the Patriots, I don't think we need to talk much about them other than the fact that uh, the, I will say, the Gridiron Graduates Thanks for Playing Award goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because the Patriots put up a 50-burger on the Jags, so, yeah, don't need to really get too much into that game. Uh, just a bad matchup for the Jags. They'll bounce yeah. back, though. I have, I have faith in my Jaguars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, they'll be fine. I mean, New England's just hitting hitting on all cylinders yeah, right now. There's and no stopping them right now. Yeah, it's it's hard to overcome. I'll, I'll tell you what, though. Like this, bye week op- this bye opponent that they have Nick, this coming week... I don't know. Could be a trap game. <laughs> yeah. Um, Raiders are two and one. They beat the Browns twenty-seven twenty. Talk about another good offense. That's probably, you know, maybe being on the West Coast, they might not get much love. But this is another offense that's pretty decent. Derek Carr playing well. Amari Cooper just outstanding. Uh, Latavius Murray is getting going in the running game. I figured this is a team on the rise, but I didn't think they'd get it clicking this quick out of the gates. Um, certainly that would come comeback win over Baltimore certainly helped kick things into gear. I mean, the Browns this week was definitely a winnable game, but here they are, 2-1, and one, and could very well get to 3-1 and because they got the Bears this week. So, look out, Raiders. Um, I think... I think I'm going to temper expectations on them a little yeah. bit. They face some really weak teams, and, you know, yeah, Derek Carr's looking really good, and Amari Cooper looked really good, but the matchups have been there for them. And yeah, like I think it's picking I think, on lower competition for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and part of it is is overrated play, players that they're playing against, too. I mean, Joe Hayden, he's been getting burned by everybody, not just Amari Cooper. It's That's an every week thing. With Joe Hayden, I think he's probably the most overrated cornerback in the NFL. Um, you look at Baltimore's defense. Yes, they have Jimmy Smith at cornerback, but their big flaws that game were communication errors. That that secondary left open a hundred or so blown assignments, and and obviously you know that's exaggerating a little bit, but I mean some of the big plays that Oakland hit wouldn't happen if they were to play later in the season. Just in, in all likelihood, because it's you know, season's gone on, communication's shored up. Again, as we're as we're recording this, we're seeing Baltimore tonight. It's almost halftime, and, and we haven't seen a defensive breakdown like that. So I bet if they were to replay that game, I think it would go a little bit differently. Um, and they're going to play another bad team in Chicago who's obviously tanking. And, and, you know, I've got a couple questions for you on them here in a second. But, yeah, I, I like Oakland. They're doing good things. They are clearly trending in the right direction. I think their long-term outlook is getting much better. Um but short term, I, I don't think they're a playoff contender. Yeah. Okay. But l- let me ask you about Chicago here. In, in Chicago, they've started trading off pieces. 
We've seen rumors that Elshon Jeffrey, that Matt Forte may be available for trade. This is this is obviously a team that is visibly tanking, I think, I mean, and that's really rare in the NFL, but I, I think it's a smart thing. You've got a possible franchise quarterback coming out in the draft and Jared Goff from Cal. Um, I'm pretty much – I'm not sold on him yet, but, I mean, as far as, like, as this part in the process – I'm probably as old as I could be. That yeah. He's going to be a really good quarterback as in the NFL. As you can without actually being it. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I'm just and I'm that uh, I'm that type. I'm not going to really commit. I committed to Teddy Bridgewater early, um, which obviously I think has worked out quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not there yet with Goff, just because competition levels are a little bit different from what Teddy was facing to right. what Goff faces. Um, but you know, maybe give it, maybe give it like three weeks. Let me see how he faces against more conference teams and, and I can give you a better answer. Um, I'm making an effort to watch every single snap of his and Christian Hackenberg's this year. Um, and I'm charting them. So, you know, I think that's, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm weird like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, anyways, back to Chicago, I think that, I think that this is a team that I kind of like what they're doing. If they're not going to re-sign these guys, why not trade them and maximize value? Right. Uh, if you're, let me ask you for, for two, Two perspectives here. First one, would you trade Matt Forte and Elshon Jeffrey if you're the Bears? And what compensation would you seek if you're them? And two, if you're a team looking to trade for one of those two, what's the compensation that you would offer? Right. Because obviously those are those could be two very different things. Oh, for sure. I'll start with the second one first because I think if you're a playoff contender and – you're maybe a little shaky on running back, or even if you have like a decent running back and you know you can possibly get a guy like Matt Forte, I think you should do it. You know, to be able to get a player, because look, even though he's almost 30 years old, Matt Forte is still a quality player. Yeah. I mean, we're not that far removed from him. Well, it was just last season that Matt Forte caught 100 passes. He's a very unique player. He really is. You know, so to be able to have the opportunity to get a player of his caliber, even if it takes like maybe a second round pick to get him, go for it. You know, Matt, Matt Forte is still one of those backs that can take an offense and elevate them to a different level. And, you know, like I said, especially for teams that are like playoff contenders that want to take that step forward, Matt, Matt Forte is definitely one of those guys they can go after. I don't think the Bears will or should trade Alf- Alshon Jeffrey. I think he's still one of the pieces that you can still build around, especially if you're going after a quarterback like, say, a Jared Goff. You know, you, you take a young quarterback, like, like we're seeing with Derek Carr and Amari Cooper. You know, you, you pair a young quarterback with a talented receiver, and that quarterback's going to do wonders. So you take a guy like Goff, put him in that offense, and pair him with a guy like Alshon Jeffrey, your, your offense is is well again and you know add a few pieces here and there um and look i I think chicago is still even if they trade matt forte they still have some decent backs on there i think jeremy langford can get a few carries and and play pretty well um you know even if they go and draft a back next year or sign a running back so i i can understand you know what the bears are doing because like we like you said they're, they're clearly tanking they know they're not going to do anything competitive this year. They're, they're, you know, obviously they're not going to win the division because they're nowhere near Green Bay's level. 
and as as far as playoffs, you know they're, they're not going to be able to contend. So get the kind of pieces you can now, and then start to build toward the future because, you know, you, you've got an up and coming GM in Ryan Pace who's, and he he has learned from from New Orleans, which has helped. So he he can kind of use that to advantage and start building the team, you know, him and Fox and Gaze just kind of building it the way they want to. So it, if I'm the Bears. I consider trading Matt Forte. I don't consider trading Jeffrey. I'm a playoff contender. If I can get either of those guys, absolutely more so Forte because he would probably be more likely available than Alshon Jeffrey. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that if you're the Bears, if you can get anything, if you can get like a day two pick for for Forte, I think that you take that in a heartbeat, yeah. especially as like a half-season rental, really, by the time he's going to come in and, and learn the offense and really be able to contribute. I mean, he's probably not going to be back with the Bears either way, so I think you know, you, you, you might as well trade him, but you don't want to give him up for less than that, because remember, if they keep him and he leaves, and they don't sign somebody to replace him, or someone of that same ilk in free agency, um, they get a compensation pick. And it's not this year. That compensatory pick is not this year. It would come in 20, 2017, and, but it may be a third-round pick. So That's true, yeah. I, th- I think that you have to start negotiations at a third-round pick, and you take nothing less. Or maybe you take like a third-rounder and you know, a fifth-rounder or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's something to remember, too. And, and I agree with you on Jeffrey. I think if you're trading Jeffrey, you better get a second-round pick at least. Yeah. Just because, yeah, you got to give him a big contract next year, but guess what? I mean, cap's rising. You've got a lot of cap space. A lot of teams have a lot of cap space. Lock him in, especially if you're going to be going for golf. It's a great type of receiver for golf. They're going to fit together really well. And then you take another receiver in the second round to build with as well. You know, maybe even his teammate, Kenny Lawler from Cal. Those two have wonderful chemistry. And then all of a sudden, you've got two great acrobatic receiving uh, options out there for a young quarterback, and I think that's really how you should be building a team around a young man, especially in Adam Gase's offense. Mm-hmm. And Gase, I, I like Gase a lot, and I think he would yeah. be electric with that. So, you know, Chicago's just in a really interesting position right now, and it's different because it's almost like a basketball or baseball team where they're just kind of selling off pieces. And I like it though. I wish team, I wish more teams would do this. I wish I, you know, I wish we could point to more situations and say, hey. This team's collecting a little bit of draft capital here and there. I think that's really, really smart. It's almost like kind of in Madden because we see that. I mean, I don't know yeah. about you, but I used to do that in Madden all the time. Oh, yeah. You just trade <laughs> whatever you can to get whatever players you wanted. It was fun. Yeah, yeah, you, absolutely. You didn't care about those draft picks in Madden. Right, <laughs> Like, right. here, you want a first and second round pick for uh, Tom Brady? There you go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that that's... I think that that's smart. I really do. Because remember, draft picks are really nice, but a lot of them don't work out. Yeah, I mean, it's about how you use them, not how many you have. Right. And, you know, I'm a draft guy, and so I, I love hoarding picks. I really do. If I'm, the, if I'm the Bears, that's what I'm doing. But if I'm a contender, if I'm the New England Patriots, I think I call about Matt Forte. You know? Ooh, and, Matt Forte and, and a Bill Belichick offense. Whoo, boy, can you imagine... And I know Deion Lewis has been really good. I know LeGarrette Blunt is, is a good back for them, but neither of them is Matt Forte. Matt Forte is probably those two combined and more. Right. 
Right. And you can still use Deion Lewis as a receiver. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think that, that for like a third-round pick, Bill Belichick's not going to be coaching that much longer. I mean, maybe like five five years, maybe five, maybe ten years. I can't see ten years even. Maybe like five years. Who cares? You trade a third round pick because there's a low probability that that player is ever going to amount to more than what you're going to get from Forte. Because you can still re-sign him. Mm-hmm. It's not like you can't re-sign him. So, you know, I think that's definitely well worth it for for a veteran team. And, and if I'm the, oh, go ahead, finish. Go ahead. I was just real quick. And if if they are intent on moving Alshon Jeffrey. I'd really like to see the Jacksonville Jaguars to go out and get him. Oh, that'd be nice, yeah. I think it'd be really nice for Blake Bortles. I was just going to say, like, with the Patriots, like, even if they trade a pick like that for Forte, they're probably just going to end up getting that pick back with the way the Patriots trade during the draft anyway. That's true. And they may just let him go for a compensatory pick because they could still get that compensatory pick. So, I mean, even if it's a half-season rental, you're trading basically a 2016 pick for a 2017 pick. Right. So... That was a good topic, so let's just quickly run through uh, the, re- the rest of the scores. Uh, Colts got their first win over the Titans, 35-33. Barely, barely got the win. Titans were actually leading for a while, but Colts with the comeback, they finally get their first win. And, boy, AFC South stinks right now, 1-2, and two, all the way through for all four teams. Who'd have thought? Cardinals blow out the 49ers, 47-7. to And, oh, by the way, the 49ers play the Packers this week, so... Uh, we just talked about the Bears. They get shut out by the Seahawks, 26 nothing. Seahawks finally on the board with their first win, and they get the lowly Lions on Monday night. The Dolphins continue to disappoint. They lose to the Bills, 41-14. Uh, Broncos get the win on Sunday night, 24-12 over the Lions, and the Packers get the win on Monday night over the Chiefs, 38-28, and that game wasn't even that close but hallelujah a chiefs wide receiver finally caught a touchdown thank you jeremy macklin for ending the streak yeah it's it's fitting that he he would do it because obviously they gave him all the money but uh boy that's an ugly game chiefs are really in in garbage time too it's not like the chiefs were even in the game when they scored yeah yeah i don't know what they're really gonna do i mean to be honest with you, I think I would start Chase Daniel, and I just don't think Alex Smith is the answer. I don't think he's good enough, and I felt that way for a few years. Um, I mean, it's not not really a new line of thinking from anybody. I think everyone's kind of kind of done with the Alex Smith era. He just he's not good enough to win enough. You know what I mean? He's mm-hmm. he's good enough to win in the regular season, but you can't compare him to a good quarterback and realistically say that you have you know, a good chance of winning that battle. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it's not Monday night. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and yeah, Aaron Rodgers is possibly the greatest of all time. I think that's a realistic discussion that, that can actually be had. Um, but still, I mean, you look at the weaknesses in that green base defense, and this was a team that scored, I think what, like seven points in the first two and a half quarters or so. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just, you can't have that. You've got, Travis Kelsey, Jamal Charles, Jeremy Macklin. Yeah. I mean, there's too many weapons. If you put Ryan Tannehill on that offense, if you put um, Teddy Bridgewater into that offense, and I know Bridgewater has Adrian Peterson right now, but, you know, other than that, he really doesn't have much. Um, You know, if you put one of these other young quarterbacks into that offense, Johnny Manziel, 
And I'm not a big Manziel fan, but still, if you put him in that offense, they could they could do things. You know, yeah. that would incredibly help one of these young quarterbacks. And it's just I think it's a shame. I feel like I feel like Alex Smith is wasting it away. And they're in a tough spot because there's no guarantee that um, Chase Daniel would play any better. And you're still guaranteed to pay Alex Smith $14 million next year. But, you know, it's one of those things where if you want to win a Super Bowl, sometimes you got to make a gutsy decision. And I think that giving Daniel for a couple weeks, give him, give him a month and see if he does anything. If he doesn't, you can always go back to Alex Smith. But you just know that there's going to be limited results there, and I think that that's that's really what we've continued to see for the first three weeks because that's a really good, talented team. I mean, that defense is great. That I know they didn't play great against Green Bay, but I think that's more credit to Green Bay than anything else. You know, this is a team that should be winning a lot more than what it is. So let's turn the page now to Week Four, which again is already underway as the Steelers. As we're recording this, are leading 10-7 over the Ravens. So let's start with Sunday's games, and we're back to one of those weeks where we get to wake up early with football. 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time in London. It is the Jets taking on the Dolphins. Can the Dolphins get anything going on offense? And I'm sorry, it's now 13-7. Uh... 13-7 at the half as we're recording this Steelers leading. But can the Dolphins get anything going offensively in London against the Jets? I don't I don't think they will. Um, it's just, this team seems like they're broken. It seems like they just have given up on Joe Philbin. Um, of course, as I say this, they may they may win. But, uh, you know, I think they have a better chance to win than last week. Last week I predicted a, a Bills two touchdown or so win over Miami, and I, they won by even more than that. So, you know, Miami's just not built to come from behind. And a lot of that is on the blame of the offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor. I mean, this is a guy that his offensive scripts don't make sense. You've got two finesse offensive tackles, and your interior offensive line excels at running up the middle on inside zone plays, kind of like what Chip Kelly's built in Philadelphia. And what does he do? He runs more pitch plays than he runs inside zone plays with Lamar Miller. It doesn't make sense. I mean, this was a team that was a great running team last year, and they've basically abandoned that this year. And it just it, it literally doesn't make sense to me. It feels like he does not script his drives. He just kind of – he doesn't really even understand the situational football, though, either. Like, it's, it's very confusing to me. I mean, to be honest with you, I think he's one of the worst offensive coordinators in the NFL – um, with his play designs, if you t- take a look at my Twitter feed from this last week, I tweeted out some of his play designs and I had illustrated them. They're terrible. His spacing that he creates is terrible. Um, and it's, it's very difficult because the defense hasn't been good either. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole mess. I think the coaching staff in Miami is very poor. I think they're among the, probably the worst in the NFL, if not the worst. And, uh, you know, I think t- things are going to go downhill quicker than not. Because if they lose this game, and it's going to be very difficult too, because I think they're at a disadvantage talent-wise, and I think they're at a disadvantage um, coaching-wise more so than even talent. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a bad combination. So, you know, we're going to see, but uh, I can't imagine Miami winning this game. 
Well, now let me ask you this. If the Dolphins do lose this game and fall to 1-3, and, and they've got their bye week coming up, what are the odds that Joe Philbin is not the head coach when they come back in week six? I would say very little. Um, I'd say very little chances that he is not the coach. Um, just because it's it's difficult to fire your coach in season. Um, one, yeah. they don't have a logical replacement within the coaching staff. And two, that could be potentially damaging as you're trying to hire your next coach. Because that next coach doesn't want that to happen to them. Yeah. That's embarrassing. That's true. It's a bad look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think at some point it may be fair to fire him early. Um, but, you know, if they win this game, they're not out of it. And it's it's tough to sit there and say that because you looked at their first six games, and honestly, their first six games, they probably should have won at least five of them. And, uh, you know, it's... It's it's a shame. It's a shame because this they they didn't address many of their needs over the off season. They overhauled the wide receiver group, which was I think the smart move. They signed in Dominican Sue, but they didn't fix any of their other problems, and that includes the coaching staff. I think that that I think that's still their biggest Achilles heel. It's just it's not a good coaching staff, and and I hate to put blame on the coaching staff because I think it's too easy and I think it's too too popular they do that too often but i think that's the reality of it yeah um it it was funny too i was listening to one of the football guys podcasts the other day cecil lammy and sigmund bloom uh for those of course listening we've had sig on the show before and he's a great guest would love to have him back on and possibly get cease on they were talking about bill laser and they were comparing his coaching style to kind of the randomness people do in madden as far as play calling goes mm-hmm. like oh this play looks good let's try this Ooh, this play looks good let's try this or something like, like all those coaching suggestions like there's just no rhythm to it there's right no rhyme or reason it's just like hey let's try this and it doesn't work and they don't adjust to it so yeah, got to play to you. Got to play to your strengths, and, and you have to attack it seems the weaknesses. Like that's what they're not doing which... right. They, they don't do that, and they also don't attack the the, the weaknesses in the defense. And Shall I, mean, I say that's... my famous line again with the Dolphins: "Give Lamar Miller the ball." Yeah, it's not that hard. It's truly really not that not. hard. Um, Oakland's at Chicago, and by the way, I, I will take the Jets too in this one. I think the Dolphins, you know. Let, like you said, it's just going to be a tough matchup, I think, for them with the way they're playing. So I'll go with the Jets here. Oakland and Chicago, we kind of talked a bit about both teams. Chicago's clearly tanking. Oakland's trending up. So I'll, I'll I'll take the Raiders in this one, and I assume you as well. Yes. Uh, J.J. Watt and the Falcons, or excuse me, J.J. Watt and the Texans are in Atlanta to face the Falcons. That should be an interesting matchup, I think. Uh, but we'll see how Julio Jones does against that secondary, but, boy, this Falcons team just, I mean, it, it, it's early on, but they're looking pretty darn good, and I think they've got a sh- shot to get to 4-0. I do, too. I think that that's definitely the way I would go. Um, Houston just really needs quarterback. They do, yeah. Uh, and and especially with, you know, 
their their passing game doesn't really scare anybody. Like, yeah, they have DeAndre Hopkins, but he can't do it all on his own. You know, no one else on that team really. You know, no one's afraid of Cecil Shorts. No one's afraid of Nate Washington. Um, luckily, Arian Foster should be back this week, so at least that'll give the offense, you know, a little bit more firepower. Not that Chris Polk has been bad, or that the running game in general has been bad. It's just Foster takes it to a whole other level, and at, at least he's been waiting till he's been fully recovered and not rushing back and then risking re-injury because we all know. It, He's always at, at risk of re-injuring himself, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, we just talked about the Chiefs. They're in Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Battle of uh, the red quarterbacks, I guess. The quarterback of the red team against the red-headed quarterback. <laughs> but, uh, again, just like the Falcons, I think the Bengals shot to get to 4-0. and um, Yeah. But luckily for the Chiefs, at least Sean Smith comes back this week. So they might slow down A.J. Green a little bit. But, I mean, still, there, there's there's just so much firepower right now on this uh, on this Bengals offense. Um, and, and the defense has been playing well, too. So I, I could see the Bengals taking this one. I am with you. I'm going to go with the home team with the better quarterback. And also the team that's been playing better as of late. Yeah. So I will also go with Cincinnati. Jags and Colts this week. Um, definitely a better matchup, I think, for the Jaguars. Um, you know, obviously the Colts' defense is not of the caliber of the Patriots' defense. And let's be honest, even though they won, they're still not overly great yet, talking about the Colts. And, oh, by the way, Andrew Luck is questionable. So, if he were to play, and, and Adam Schefter brought up an interesting point too, the fact that you know he's been limited in practice, questionable to play Sunday, plus the fact that next week they play on Thursday. So if he can't go, I mean, not that Matt Hasselbeck's a bad quarterback, but I mean, when's the last time he started the game? Plus, he's almost forty years old. If Luck can't go, there's potential for an upset here by the Jaguars. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the Jaguars would definitely win that game if uh, if Luck's not able to play. But I have to imagine he plays. I mean, it's it's really hard to imagine him not playing. And yeah, he you know how much is at stake this season. I think, and I mean, oh, absolutely. I, until I until I see it, I can't believe it. He's still playing to be potentially the first twenty five million dollar a year man in the NFL. Um, and, and I'll agree. I'll, I'll assume Luck plays, and, and I'll say the Colts win this one. Could be another ugly one, though. A game that potentially could have been moved to Week 8, but sounds like it will stay on schedule. Philadelphia at Washington. Uh, like we talked about earlier, Philly can you know, at, at least stay on the pace that they were against the Jets. Uh, I think they should be okay, because um, look, Philly still has the better quarterback in this one. Even though Bradford's been sluggish, he's still miles ahead of Kirk Cousins. The defense has been playing a lot better, uh, particularly the front seven. Michael Kendricks uh, is back practicing, as I mentioned before, um, and at, at least there's no—I mean, Pierre Garçon's a, a good receiver, but. It, 
you know, he's obviously not at the elite status of, like, a Julio Jones or whatever. So, you know, a guy like Byron Maxwell should be okay. So, I think the Eagles will have enough to take this one and get back to 500 and kind of start to get the momentum shifting their way again. Yeah, I agree. I think Philly takes this one fairly easily. Um, it is on the road, which is going to be tough, but I, I agree. I think they've got this one. And at least after this week, the uh, the road stretch will come to an end a bit for them because it's never easy to play three of your first four on the road, but I guess that's what happens when the Pope comes to town. <laughs> yeah, the traffic here was crazy when uh, when I know he was in the D.C. In DC so yeah. I, I, I know that Imagine. that's... Uh, that was definitely a unique experience. <laughs> I found that so interesting, too. The Eagles actually requested to have last week on the road because of the Pope. Smart. So the NFL grants them their wish. Smart. 90 miles east. You know, they don't send... I mean, granted, they didn't have too many far road trips this season because, you know, the only really western team they're playing is Arizona, and that game's in Philly. Yeah, I think the furthest they're traveling is to Dallas, because um, they play, obviously, the other teams in their division are on the East Coast, and then they have the AFC East, so not not too much travel there. You know, maybe, you know, Detroit's a bit of a travel, I guess, but still not that far, so I guess there wasn't too much the NFL could do, but I still found it interesting that they requested to be off because of the Pope, and they were only sent, you know, pretty much a hop and a skip over to East Rutherford. Um, Carolina at Tampa Bay. Panthers been, you know, playing pretty decent. Obviously at three and zero. Bucks have been struggling, but uh, this always seems like an interesting NFC South matchup. Um, it should be interesting to see now that Mike Evans is starting to get a bit healthy again. Uh, how the how the Bucks offense will start to click again. And Josh Norman has been playing pretty well, so it'll be interesting to see who he covers. Um, I guess I'll give the slight edge to Carolina, but I don't know. For some reason, this feels a little bit of a toss-up to me. Yeah, you know, I'm not I'm not buying on the Panthers right now. Um, it's just not a great <laughs> roster. It's not a great team. It's Cam Newton's playing all playing pretty well. Um, but man, it's just hard to buy into them, even though they're three and zero. I just it, I they haven't it's, played. It's they haven't really played anybody. That they're three and zero. Well, yeah, and they haven't played anybody, and that's part of it. Yeah. But um, you know, they're they're still not playing anybody this week, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, Tampa's pretty bad. So yeah. I know they they played a little bit better, but they're still a team that's going to kick themselves in the butt way too many times. So right. you know, I, I'm going to go with Carolina in this just because they're the, I think they're the slightly better team, but I really wouldn't be surprised if Tampa pulls this one out um just run through a couple of the other games quick giants are at the bills still no victor cruz after he re-aggravated his calf injury i'll take the bills in this one because giants d is bad and i think tyra taylor will have another good game yeah i think they bounce back as well i think this is going to be a, a possibly a tough one with lashawn mccoy and sammy Watkins possibly being out um if those guys are out it just makes it a little bit more difficult but Again, I think you're going with the hot hand at quarterback. Tyrod Taylor's proving to be pretty good mm-hmm. overall, 
And uh, hey, amazing that it actually worked. That they sat him for a couple years. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> uh, you know, that's crazy. Uh, teams don't develop more quarterbacks, but and you know, Baltimore to thank for that. Yeah, yeah, they, that's the perfect situation, really. Um, New York, I don't. I'm not definitely not going to buy into them this year. Um, at any point, they just they don't have enough going for them. Right. Um, on either side of the ball, so. I agree. Um, it will be fun though to see Stephon Gilmore and Ronald Darby against Odell Beckham. Oh, absolutely for sure. You know, it's a great Bills defense going against some quality receivers, so that'll be fun to watch. Cleveland at San Diego, a uh, couple of one and two teams here, but San Diego just feels like they have a lot more talent, even though they've lost two straight. Uh, I think San Diego should win this one fairly easy, I guess. You know, I'm not gonna. I hate predicting total blowouts because you, you never know where they're gonna come from or you know what down team is gonna spring. But I'll take the Chargers here, and I will as well. Green Bay at San Francisco really needs no talk. Uh, San Fran just. It was they fool's, it was fool's <laughs> gold in uh, week one. They are who we thought they were. Yeah, I admit I fell f- I fell for the fool's gold in week one. I've learned my lesson. Green Bay is just going to run rampant on them, especially if Eddie Lacy is back full go. Yep, expected to be ugly. Expected to get out of hand quickly. Green Bay in a landslide. St. Louis at Arizona. Rams, uh, after, after, did they blow all their magic in week one against the Seahawks? Because they've really struggled the last two weeks. And, boy, speaking of learning my lesson, I'm I'm definitely on the Cardinals as far as an NFC contender. I mean, Green Bay's still the top of the NFC, but watch out for those Cardinals. Yeah, they are, they are incredibly good. And, uh... They are definitely one of the top few teams in the NFL, and, and I think that they're going to probably win this one fairly easily. Um, just They're just out of their minds right now, especially on offense. And, you know, a lot of respect needs to go to them and their coaching staff. And, you know, I doubted this team coming into this year because they lost a lot of pieces. They lost a lot of depth. Yeah. And I didn't think that they would come back firing like this. And, you know, it, it obviously depends on um, – it obviously depends on quarterback uh, Carson Palmer, but he's been great this year. So He has. You know, I, I'm definitely buying them right now. And real nice to see Larry Fitzgerald back playing well again, too. You know, and anytime he gets going, I certainly enjoy it because he's one of my favorite players. So really glad to see him back in the mix. Teddy Bridgewater and the Vikings take on Peyton Manning and the Broncos. That, to me, is one of the more interesting games of the of the week. Uh, Broncos' defense has just play, been playing outstanding, uh, really, really helping out Peyton Manning, who, I mean, he, he's had his ups and downs for sure this season, but um, definitely played well against the Lions, but it's going to... You know, them, that defense against Adrian Peterson is going to be real fun to watch. Um, it's it's going to be tough, though, but I'll say I really want to pick the Vikings in this one, though. I really do. Well, I will do it for you. I will pick the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, there you go. So, 
I will do it because I just think that that defense is going to give Peyton all he can handle. Um, I, I'm still not buying Denver. I know that their record is really good, and, and but it just feels like they have escaped some games. And I, I just the Kansas City one. Yeah, yeah, and I just I don't think that this is a great Denver team, despite the record, despite the the stars on the offense. They've got a great defense, but you know ultimately. This is going to be a close game either way, I think. Yeah. But I'm going to go with Minnesota. Even though it might not be the easy pick, I think that Adrian Peterson is just, he is back and he is looking great. And I think he's going to be able to help this offense, this Vikings offense, to kind of keep keep away the uh, keep the ball away from Peyton. And then we know Teddy Bridgewater is an assassin when it comes to finishing uh, when he needs to and coming up with clutch plays. He's as, really as cool as the other side of the pillow. So I think he's going to be on point again this week yeah and what fun is making picks if you just take the easy pick all the way through right that's right so I, I guess i'll go ahead and pick the vikings too i mean like you said they have a great defense too denver's old line is still kind of so so cj anderson has been really disappointing early on uh so and uh bridgewater and mike wallace seem to have a nice click going um so you'll probably see Wallace against Akeem Tlaib, which should be an interesting matchup. But, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. go ahead and pick the Vikings, too. Dallas at New Orleans on Sunday night. Uh, if Drew Brees plays, def- I'll definitely take the Saints. Even I mean, the offense has struggled, but I think Drew, you definitely got to give Drew Brees the edge yeah. uh, over Brandon Whedon because I don't think Castle's still yet ready to play so it's probably going to be weeding again so if breeze plays definitely going with the saints i'm gonna go yeah if if breeze plays i'm gonna go with the saints even though breeze hasn't been great this year um you know uh, both teams if you look at the rosters the saints clearly have the worst roster but it's just i don't see the saints or I'm sorry, I don't see the Cowboys winning against Breeze, um, even if he's not 100%, just because Bree- Whedon, I don't think he's going to continue to do that, you know, what he did last week. And obviously he had the incredibly stupid interception um, that he's done throughout his career last week, and that kind of ended the game. Um, so, yeah, this is a tough game for me to pick. If Breeze doesn't start, I'm going to go with Dallas. If Breeze does start, I will go with Saints. Yeah. And finally, on Monday night, it's the 1-2 and two Seahawks against the 0-3 Lions. It was real nice to see Amir Abdullah back involved in the Lions offense. Don't know why the Lions continue to give the ball to Joyk Bell as much as they do, because clearly Abdullah is the better talent. But with that said, the Lions are struggling and going into Going into Seattle on a Monday night, we all know how that crowd gets in primetime games. Going with the Seahawks here to get back to 500. Even if Marshawn Lynch does not play, because they really like Thomas Rawls. uh, And then you can still sprinkle in Fred Jackson there and get Jimmy Graham involved. So with or without Marshawn Lynch, I think the Seahawks take this one. I really hate to agree once again, but you make a lot of <laughs> you make a lot of sense, and and I'm going to be with you here. I'm going to go with Seattle. 
Um, Detroit. Wait, radio I'm just... making sense. What? <laughs> it's good reasoning. We'll see if it. We'll see if it bears out that way. But uh, you know, Detroit. I'm just. I've never been high on Matt Stafford. I think the guy. I mean, if you look at the numbers, his performance has gotten worse um, as time has gone on, and yeah. their offensive line has continued to get worse. And uh, he was. You know, it's it's just one of those things where they don't have the offensive line. Despite they should, because but because of injuries, um, it's just not really a good unit, and the, and the run game hasn't been going. Without the run game, Stafford is not good, and you know it's tough. DeAndre Levy's been out, so the defense hasn't been quite as good as it was last year. And the defensive tackles, they clearly miss Sue, and you know yeah. not a not a shocker, not a shocker. So, you know, I think this is a game where Seattle should just kind of have their way. Unless if we see some crazy performance from Golden Tate and uh, and Calvin Johnson, which is very possible, um, you know, barring any really surprising outbursts from Detroit's offense, which we haven't seen in a while, I think this is going to be a comfortable Seahawks victory. And with that, our previews for Week Four are in the books. So, as always, hope you enjoy the games and. Certainly this week, we all love the quadruple header. I'm sure you'll be up early to watch the game, right, Ian? Unfortunately. <laughs> hey, you never know, though. You never know. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm at the point, I'm, I'm honestly ready for it to be over. I, I mean, I had written some articles at the end of last year calling for, you know, the coaching staff to be fired. Um, so, I mean, it, for me, it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't want your team to lose, but you know that that's what needs to happen right. because it just, it just needs to be a fresh start. And although I really don't believe that this ownership will do that, uh, Stephen Ross is just, he's always been the type to keep one thing in place. So like he'll keep Mike Tannenbaum in place um, as opposed to a fresh restart, which in reality is a fresh restart is really what's needed. So but in any event, quadruple header Sunday, uh, so enjoy it, and be sure to check back with us next week as we kind of put a bow tie on week four and see where we went right and where we went wrong. So, any final thoughts, Ian? I don't. Enjoy the good weekend. It's a great weekend for college football, um, capped off by Notre Dame and Clemson at night, and, uh, you know, Alabama and Georgia is going to be another good one. You can watch the best running back in the nation play in that game, a.k.a. Nick Chubb. And, uh, you know, this might be a little bit of a hot take because I know there's a lot of Leonard Fournette love out there, but um, I like Chubb even more. They're both amazing. But, yeah, enjoy a great weekend. If you're going to be reined in like myself, uh, there could be worse things that you're doing. So make sure you go grab some beer and or some – uh, liquor if you prefer liquor and enjoy the weekend absolutely yeah if you're in the path of the hurricane please be safe and like ian said enjoy the weekend uh some great college football go state beat army and, better uh, better better uh better look from um penn state last week by the way i thought yes. hackenberg played a little bit better um had a couple deep balls, which was nice. By the way, your your freshman running back, Berkeley, he is so good. Oh boy! Second, second, and like I said, I'm watching all of their snaps this year. Yep. And uh, oof, 
I tell you, Barkley's really good. He is good. Carl, Carl Nassib, really, really good. Um, a lot of a lot of positives there for that Penn State team. Absolutely. Things are finally starting to look happy again in Happy Valley. Yep. And with that, that's where we'll leave you. Thanks again for listening to us. For my buddy Ian Wharton, I am Bill Rossetti. Thanks for listening so much. We really do appreciate it. And we will see you next week right here on the Gridiron Graduates. Until then, take care, everybody.